This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. This evening's talk is titled, Goodness Always Tends to Spread, Deification and Evangelization. And I'd like to begin with the first paragraph of Pope Francis's prayer that concludes his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Mary, Virgin and Mother, you who moved by the Holy Spirit welcomed the word of life in the depths of your humble faith. As you gave yourself completely to the Eternal One, help us to say our own yes to the urgent call, as pressing as ever, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The title for this lecture, Goodness Always Tends to Spread, comes from number nine of Evangelii Gaudium. Pope Francis writes, goodness always tends to spread. Every authentic experience of truth and goodness seeks by its very nature to grow within us. And any person who has experienced a profound liberation becomes more sensitive to the needs of others. As it expands, goodness takes root and develops. If we wish to lead a dignified and fulfilling life, we have to reach out to others and seek their good. In this regard, several sayings of St. Paul will not surprise us. The love of Christ urges us on, 2 Corinthians 5, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9. Goodness always tends to spread. This talk falls into four parts. Uh, first, we look at goodness always tends to spread in terms of definitions. What's the philosophical underpinning for this statement? Then we look at goodness always tends to spread deification. Part three is goodness always tends to spread evangelization. And then our fourth part is to have upheld a, an exemplar for us, Our Lady, because we can especially see how goodness tends to spread in Our Lady. This presentation is in part indebted to two essays in a book called Divinization Becoming Icons of Christ Through the Liturgy. The first essay is by a theologian at the University of Notre Dame, David Fagerberg, whose essay is titled From Divinization to Evangelization, an Overview, and an essay by a theologian from the Franciscan University of Steubenville, Michael Cirilla. His essay is Divinization for the New Evangelization. So in different ways, I have been inspired by those two theologians, and my own work is then building upon their own. Part one, goodness always tends to spread, definitions. Now, the phrase is a loose translation of a Neoplatonic principle rendered in Latin as bonum diffusivum sui. The good is diffusive of itself or the good is self-diffusive. It is associated with the Christian Neoplatonist known as Dionysius. Sometimes he's called Pseudo-Dionysius. He was a Syrian writing around the year 500 under the pseudonym Dionysius the Areopagite. Dionysius was converted by St. Paul when he was preaching in Athens. And Dionysius upholds the word good as the primary name for God among the divine names. 
In chapter four of his treatise on divine names, Dionysius writes, let us move on now to the name good, which the sacred writers have preeminently set apart for the super divine God from all other names. They call the divine subsistence itself goodness. This essential good, by the very fact of its existence, extends goodness into all things. Now, when Dionysius refers to the sacred writers, of course he's talking about the authors of sacred scripture. And we can go to Matthew's account of the gospel and hear our Lord Jesus say there in Matthew 19, there is only one who is good. There is only one who is good. So that goodness in a special way goes back to that one, God. Sometimes Neoplatonists speak of a necessity of the good to spread. In Revelation, we find that the one who is good freely wills things to be, to participate in his goodness. Let's think about the account that we read in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 has God uh, revealing himself as the good creator. And what he makes then reflects back upon himself. So at the end of the first day, we find that God saw that the light was good. Okay, so he made something and it reflects something of who he is. He is the good God. And so he then sees the light and calls it good. Recall how after the sixth day, when he has made man to his image and likeness, man, both male and female, he says that it is very good, and then he rests. Well, I want us to make sure that we get a difference between God's goodness and our goodness. Okay, so again, that God saw that the light was good. When we see the light, we see the light because the light is there. When God sees the light, he makes the light to be. All things desire the good. When we desire something that is good, okay, so let's say we have a, a wonderful apple pie right here. That's good, and I desire it. God loves things and makes them good. Whereas we love things that are good, God's love makes things to be and to be good. Do you see how there's a fundamental difference then in terms of the order of creation and the creator? God, who is goodness itself, is willing things to be that are not who he is, and yet they resemble him in some ways. St. Augustine will talk about how everything in creation has, in a sense, the, the footprints or the fingerprints of God, the vestigia of, of God. And then man upon this earth is alone made to the image and likeness. That is beyond simply the traces or the footprints of, of where God is that we have been made special. In a special way, we're made to the image of God to be able to know and to love. In the Summa Theologiae, Prima Pars, question 19, article two, 
St. Thomas Aquinas writes about God willing not only himself, but also that which is not God. And notice how St. Thomas will begin here with an understanding of our natural understanding of goodness and how we can go from that to think about God. So St. Thomas writes, Natural things have a natural inclination not only towards their own proper good, to acquire it if it, not, it is not possessed, and if possessed, to rest therein, but also to spread abroad their own good amongst others, so far as possible. Hence we see that every agent, insofar as it is perfect and an act, produces its like. It pertains, therefore, to the nature of the will to communicate as far as possible to, to others the good possessed. And especially does this pertain to the divine will, from which all perfection is derived in some kind of likeness. Hence, if natural things, insofar as they are perfect, communicate their good to others, much more does it appertain to the divine will to communicate by likeness its own good to others as much as possible. Thus then, God wills both himself to be and other things to be, but himself as the end, and other things as ordained to that end, inasmuch as it befits the divine goodness that other things should be partakers therein. So, when we see good at work in the world, the good naturally spreads, naturally wants others to share in that goodness. And that is a reflection of who God is, because God is goodness itself, the supreme good, in St. Augustine's Latin, the summum bonum. And, and so just in terms of looking at how goodness spreads here, we can then think about God, but then God wills not only himself in terms of just who he is, but he in his goodness wants other things to be. Now, how does his goodness then get, so to speak, into other things? Well, you can go back to divine causality. There are different kinds of causes. St. Thomas considers God to be the efficient cause of the good things of creation, that he actually makes them. He is the agent. He is the doer. From a Neoplatonic sense, you can also think of God as the exemplar cause. God has within himself the divine ideas, and so there is the pattern of all things within himself, and so all things then are marked, so to speak, by that pattern. And then God makes things to have himself as their end, that he is the final cause of all good things, so that the good things that are tend toward God's own goodness. So when God makes things, that he makes things because he is the good maker, that he has patterned them in some way upon himself, and that the good things that he has made then desire him who is the supreme good. Right? That there is like an attraction to God. St. Thomas writes in question 6, article 4, the Prima Pars, Everything is therefore called good from the divine goodness as from the first exemplary, effective, and final principle of all goodness. So then you think about how uh, God made things that desire the good 
and all things naturally desire goodness. And by grace, we who are made to the image of God can know and love who God is as the Blessed Trinity, as our supernatural end. Okay, so this is where in terms of just thinking about that principle, goodness always tends to spread. I like from this point now to go into deification, part two. God's intention in creating us is to share his goodness. We who are made to his image are kapax dei, capable of God, so that we may receive deifying grace and be prepared for the glory of deification in heaven. The first line of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the very first line says this, God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. Notice then that the church wants to get to the quick, very quickly state the whole purpose of everything. Okay, that God has made all of this so that way we may share in God's own blessed life. And he freely does this out of his own generosity. This means that we really are to be made uh, more and more like God. Contrast this with what the serpent uh, does when he speaks to Eve. The serpent wanted Adam and Eve to snatch a likeness to God as if that were not God's plan, right? So if you go back to the book of Genesis, we read, Now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, Did God really say you should not eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the snake, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, You should not eat it or even touch it or else you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know good and evil. Notice then that the serpent is using an argument of deification. God knows well that if you eat of this one thing that is forbidden, you will be like gods. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The first sin. It is not a sin to, be, to want to be like God. The sin is to do this on our own terms to listen to the cunning serpent rather than the word of the Lord. Because of the sin, we need a savior. And St. Thomas Aquinas, when he begins the third part of the Summa, in question one, article one, so he's going to give 59 questions with all sorts of articles about Christ the savior. He wants us to think back about who God is and how God is good and it's most fitting for him to send us the Savior. St. Thomas writes, To reason befits man, since this belongs to him because of, he is of a rational nature. But the very name of God is goodness, as is clear from Dionysius. Hence, what belongs to the essence of goodness befits God, 
that it belongs to the essence of goodness to communicate itself to others, as is plain from Dionysius. Hence, it belongs to the essence of the highest good to communicate itself in the highest manner to the creature, and this is brought about chiefly by his so joining created nature to himself that one person is made of these three, the word, a soul, and flesh, as Augustine says in On the Trinity, Book 13. Hence, St. Thomas concludes, it is manifest that it was fitting that God should become incarnate. God became incarnate because God is good, and he knows that we need Christ as our Savior. St. John says in his first letter, chapter 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as expiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also must love one another. So then, God sent his Son, who gives us the Spirit, so that way we may cry out, Abba, Father, in him, in Jesus Christ. And in the second letter of St. Peter, chapter 1, we read this. His divine power has bestowed on us everything that makes for life and devotion, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and power. Through these, he has bestowed on us the precious and very great promises, so that through them you may come to share in the divine nature, after escaping from the corruption that in the world that is in the world because of evil desire. To share in the divine nature, or become partakers of the divine nature. That is what God's intention is precisely in creating us that now that we have sinned to, to experience the grace of the Holy Spirit in Christ to be remade and to be set out in this world that is fleeting for the glory of heaven. Now, the third part is goodness always tends to spread evangelization. Evangelization comes from the Greek word for gospel announcing good news. It is a communication. You can think about St. Andrew in the first chapter of John's account of the gospel, how Andrew first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Think about that in terms of that St. Andrew in that experience of Jesus then thought about his own brother and wanted to tell his brother, we have found the Messiah. St. John opens his first letter in this way. 1 John chapter 1 and then verses 3 to 4. What we have seen and heard we proclaim now to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. For our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this so that our joy may be complete. Right? Now then you can think about different aspects of causality. I want us to consider instrumental causality. God uses us as his instruments, and we are not simply uh, uh, pencils in terms of something that is inanimate. God uses us as human instruments, as rational instruments, who are, of course, made to his image and likeness. And then we then become his instruments of the goodness that he wants to spread throughout the world. He wants us to be ministers of goodness for others, right? So then to be able to see how important this is, you could go to the prima pars, so the first part of the Summa where St. Thomas asks about predestination. 
right? Serious stuff here, predestination. And he asks in the last article whether the prayers and the good works of the Holy Ones can further predestination. And what he does is he goes back to a robust sense of instrumental causality. We cannot change God, right? We can't change God. But from all eternity, God predestines taking into account the prayers and the good works of all the Holy Ones. So then when you pray, when you do good works for other people, when you seek out their own good, their goodness and friendship and true charity, you are being taken up by God's eternal plan. You know, God may be placing in your heart right now to pray for someone who is in special need. God is then using your prayer, your heart, for his eternal plan of salvation, of predestination. That is how important our instrumental causality is, that God precisely from all eternity wills this and wills it in a way that respects our freedom. Then to be able to see how in terms of evangelization, we are blessed to be able to use our mouths, okay? And then to be able to think about how in terms of doing and talking about God, that there's a special place for giving praise to God, allowing other people to hear our praise. The Latin verb predicare, to preach, also means to glorify. A lovely way of thinking about praise is through C.S. Lewis's, Lewis's book called Reflections on the Psalms. I highly recommend it. And when he's talking about the Psalms of praise, he wants people to think about natural praise, first of all. Okay, because sometimes people just don't make the connections between natural praise and the supernatural praise that we're called to do now and forever. So just looking in terms of natural praise, he says, the most obvious fact about praise, and then he says, whether of God or of anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless, sometimes even if, shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Now, he is not praising all these forms of praising. He's just simply saying, this is what you find in the world. The first example is lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. <laughs> I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. The good critics found something to praise in many imperfect works. The bad ones continually narrowed the list of books we might be allowed to read. The healthy and unaffected man, even if luxuriously brought up and widely experienced in good cookery, could praise a very modest meal. The seductic and the snob could fault with all. 
except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Inner health made audible. And then to be able to think about how if you have that goodness welling up in your heart, you're able to praise all sorts of things. And in the evangelization, we are praising the good God. God himself, who has stirred our heart to let the world know of his goodness through our lives. That then we can sing out our praise of God. This then is an anticipation of what heaven is like. St. John Henry Newman says, heaven would be hell to an irreligious man. Why? Heaven is about praise. So our evangelization here is really spreading the good news of who God is and that God wants us to enjoy him, to love him, to cling to him alone. And then the things that are passing in this world, to use them in order to get to the good God. And let nothing, nothing distract you from that one, God. Let nothing hold you back, but use everything to be able to get to God and to let other people know this is the way. We find this in Jesus Christ. Remember, God, who knows that we have sinned, has given us his own son to be our savior. You know, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and given us his son as an expiation for our sins. Right now, the more deified we are, the more we praise God and spread his love to others because God is love. Of all disciples of our Lord, there is one who is preeminent. And that is Our Lady. Part four, goodness always tends to spread, Our Lady. Our Lady is the most deified one. From the first moment of her conception, she was filled with grace, the Immaculate Conception. The angel Gabriel recognizes how she is full of grace and says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Once the word is made flesh and Mary, what does she do? She travels in haste, St. Luke tells us, to her kinswoman Elizabeth. The first joyful mystery of the Annunciation leads to the second joyful mystery of the Visitation. Goodness always tends to spread. When you have Jesus within you, you go in haste to others who are in need to share the love of the Lord. And at the Visitation, we see Mary's evangelization in deed and word, bringing Christ and singing, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Our Lady then, filled with grace, is able to stand firm at the foot of the cross. And there she receives more grace. You realize that Our Lady, through her our entire life, goes from glory to glory, that she becomes actually holier. She who is the all holy one from the first moment of her conception grows in holiness. And at the foot of the cross, 
she then experiences a new moment in salvation history where her son entrusts the beloved disciple to her and her to the beloved disciple. We then become children of Our Lady. And so she then can help us precisely in knowing the power of deification and the power of evangelization. Right? She shows most beautifully what we read about in the last chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. I wish this would be better known. You can see how St. Paul is going back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 3, and is using the same language, but now talking about what it means to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who create dissensions and obstacles in opposition to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by fair and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the innocent. For while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, I want you to be wise as to what is good and simple as what is evil. Then the God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Can you think of Our Lady especially showing us the significance of this? Okay. Have you ever um, imagined okay, or experienced the God of peace crushing Satan under your feet? Catholics love images of Our Lady crushing Satan, crushing the serpent. You know, the, the, the first gospel that is given in, in Genesis chapter 3 is fulfilled you know, with Our Lady you know, bearing her son, crushing the serpent's head. She has a unique privilege in this, and she shows us what is our common disciple vocation. All of us who are disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ are called to have the, the God of peace crushing Satan under our feet. And remember instrumental causality? Who's crushing? The God of peace. But it's our feet. God is doing this, and he's doing it through Our Lady, and he's doing it for all of us who are called in this wondrous aspect of deification evangelization, because one thing that we should not forget when goodness tends to spread, evil is crushed. When goodness tends to spread, it means that everything that is an assault, an objection, an obstacle to goodness is laid low. And this is meant to be under our feet, the God of peace, knows that we experience all sorts of violence and turbulence in this world that's, flat, that's, that's fleeting. And he wants us to have the confidence of our Lord Jesus, to have the grace of our Lord deifying us and being instruments, ministers of his good news. Our Lady experienced this most fully during her life on earth and now assumed in glory in heaven, crowned, she continues to exercise her maternal care for us. Think especially of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady appeared in Mexico in December 1531. And in terms of showing forth the most deified one, 
who most beautifully evangelizes. Think about how Our Lady Guadalupe is the Empress of the Americas, and how she is, um, that because of God using instrumental causes, that God is using Our Lady most powerfully to convert our hearts, to make them more and more deified, to be more and more accepting of the life of God, and to be able to spread the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about Our Lady, the most deified one, the queen of preachers, who allows us to experience God's goodness spreading into the entirety of our life and through our life to our neighbors, to, to those whom we most love, who are near us, and also to the ends of the world, to our enemies, to those who are far from God. Never give up in terms of your prayer, in terms of your praise, to be able to be an instrument of God for the conversion of the world. So that someone like St. Paul, who was breathing murderous threats, who went to Damascus in order to have a persecution against the church, that he, on that Damascus road, would be converted. Never give up on the power of God's goodness, always tending to spread, to make us not only human, really authentically human, but that as authentically human beings, we become partakers of the divine nature. Back in the year 2000, Cardinal Ratzinger was speaking to catechists on the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, December 12th in the year 2000. And I'll close then with what Cardinal Ratzinger said at this time. He said, man is not satisfied with solutions beneath the level of divinization, but all the roads offered by the serpent, that is to say by mundane knowledge, fail. The only path is communion with Christ achieved in sacramental life. The sequela of Christ, that is the following of Christ, is not a question of morality, but a mysteric theme, an ensemble of divine action and our response. Thank you. We have some time for questions and answers. I was wondering, um, specifically on this theme of evangelization and kind of letting, yeah, the, the joy of the gospel that we experience kind of become infusive. You know, I'm struck in the gospels of all these accounts where it says, you know, after Jesus performed a miracle for someone, you know, they went to the streets and they sang the praises of God and all the good that he did for them. What do you think that would look like for us practically today in our society? I mean, because there's a part of you to be definite that every time I you know, receive the grace of forgiveness and sacrament or receive the Lord himself in the Eucharist, you, yeah, I mean, you feel like you're completely transformed and you want to shout to the heavens. But yeah, I guess, you know, how do you think that that would, yeah, what is practical, I guess? Right. Okay, so it's a wonderful question, and to be able to think about how God really does want us to experience his goodness, his joy, his love, and then to be able to, to express it. So you just think about life. This evening, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Are you going to do it uh, because God is at work in you? Or are you going to be reduced 
to worldly circumstances? Is your joy dependent upon, oh, if only so-and-so would say this to me, if only the traffic would be better, if only I didn't have to have this illness, if only so-and-so... Is your joy dependent upon the things of this world or in terms of God? And then to be able to see that we can be purified and then to be able to tell people about God. To be able to, and, and we have different vocations, different states of life, but we're called all to be disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a common call for that holiness and then to be able to think, who are the persons that God has put into my life? How has God put holy desires into my heart? How should my life change? What should I give up? What sacrifices am I called to make? And to see more and more the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ as precisely the way to let people know about God's glory Okay, so this is where, in terms of just thinking about routines, patterns, um, thought, particularly patterns of the heart, and how we think about life, about our day, about those around us, do we appreciate them? Do we see them as made to the image of God, or do we want to manipulate them for our own purposes? You know, do we want to thank people, to be loving, do we want to be loving to those who hurt us? And you think about, uh, about the practical decisions, but these practical decisions are precisely to, to be moved by the grace of God. Goodness always tends to spread. And this is where, in terms of Cardinal Ratzinger, he says, not a question of morality. So often uh, we may hear things about morality, but people don't have an experience of, of the sacramental goodness of God. Okay, so in terms of, there's, remember the woman who's suffering from the hemorrhage and goodness always tends to spread. She goes up to Christ and then since she's kind of sneaking upon him and the goodness then goes out of Christ. He in a sense is hemorrhaging Okay, in the sense that his goodness is spreading to her, and and then he wants, you know, he's um, he wants this to be a scene, and then this then is set up in the church as particularly a sign of the sacramental life, that God wants us to approach Christ, to encounter Him, and then uh, and then to experience His power. And then, you know, in terms of the miracles, to be able to, to tell other people, to be witnesses, to follow. But it is a matter in terms of each one of our lives to think about how we experience the goodness of God, the goodness tending to spread within our life. And, you know, so what obstacles do we have that we need to ask God to, to get rid of? What things are we clinging on to that we should just let go? And and receive more God's goodness. Thank you. Other questions or comments? This weekend, I ran across a line or phrase, and I'm sure you may know the source, uh, or may not, but it goes, your being increases in the measure that you give it away. And it, so it just seems appropriate for me. That came alive tonight a little bit with your talk, and I thank you for that. Yeah. 
but is that resonating? Yes. So being and goodness have convertibility. So everything that is, is good. Everything that is good is. There's a, there's a and, and so uh, goodness is precisely showing how that being is appetible or desirable. And this is where, in terms of materiality, uh, apple, apple pie, you know, that kind of uh, goodness tends to spread. And so here's a slice for you, here's a slice for you, here's a slice for you, here's a slice for me. Mm. And it goes through my being, all right? But with the apple pie, then, it's done. Okay. In terms of our love, the more love we give away, the more love we have. And it's in terms of immaterial things, things that especially are divine, like matters of truth, the more you are able to teach others the truth of God, the more you grow in that truth of God. Like there's something about just the natural way of talking about something that you've learned, and then you think, oh, actually, now it, it kind of makes more sense when I'm explaining it to someone else. So truth grows when you communicate the truth. Goodness grows when you communicate the goodness. Love grows when you communicate the love. Our being, okay, in terms of, you know, that we're called more and more to be like God. That, in, that in, by God's grace, then, we really can, when we give ourselves over, okay, so when we, when we, give, when we lay down our life, when we lay down our life, it is then that we can know the fullness of life. Okay, so, and then to be able to see the, the way of the cross leading to, the, to resurrection. God, who is uh, being itself, St. Thomas will use ipsum esse per se subsistens. It's not a definition, but it's just a description that God is the very act of being subsisting in itself. He comes into our created being in terms of the word was made flesh. And what does that word made flesh do? He gives his life over for those that he calls his friends, those that he loves. So that way we who are called into his friendship may have new life, pick up our cross and follow Jesus wherever he goes. And for each disciple, that is to have an experience, a sacramental experience of death and resurrection. We think about the truth of baptism and that baptismal grace that we are to live by each day of our lives. And then finally, in terms of sustained by, especially the Holy Eucharist, our food for the journey, we're able to give our life over to God. And that's how we can have the resurrection in terms of ultimately giving our being, whether we die as martyrs, okay? And, we, and it's a good uh, holy practice to desire God's grace so as to be able to give witness. Martyrdom means witness to be witness to God. Um, and then to be able to think about how, uh, uh, whether it's going to be a death like one of the great martyrs or a death in another way. That however we get out of this world, that we get out of this world by giving our being over, our being over to God. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And God is good. God is good. The Father has raised his son Jesus from the dead. 
And he wants us to live in this world by the spirit of life, confident in him, and that he has a plan of everlasting happiness in heaven. All right, so thanks for that question about the being. So important. 